Mankind has always had a fascination with the incredible. Engineering feats that defy belief. Works of art that speak to the soul. Scientific discoveries that change the world. Scenes of nature that awaken our senses. We call them wonders. But the greatest wonders of all time were the miracles performed by one man almost 2,000 years ago. The world had never seen anything like it before, nor has it since. So let's be amazed again at the seven wonders of the world. So we arrived in Georgetown, Guyana um, last uh, a week ago, last Monday night, um, about, gosh, we got to our hotel room between 12 and midnight, so we just went straight to bed, and we got up the next morning, and then we drove out to Cor Riverton. It's about a three-hour drive. I don't think it's that far. It's just that you're on this one, or it's a two-lane road that just winds through every village between uh, Georgetown and Cor Riverton. But one of the first things that really stuck out to me uh, as I went through Guyana there, were the road signs. And all along this road, there were signs that looked like this. It says, Welcome to, to Dundee. And then you drive for about two miles, and there'd be the next sign, you know, Welcome to Fort Ordnance. And you drive another mile or, or two, and you'd see the next sign, Welcome to Experiment. And all down this road for three hours, we passed sign after sign after sign like this. And so the story is, this was a British colony originally, and when it was given its independence, uh, they took the land and they subdivided it every mile to two miles, and actually they're on the metric system, but it, it's separated by drainage ditches, and every little burg there would get its own name, and so there'd just be a dozen, 20 maybe houses at the most, and that would be the town. But what I loved most about all these signs, and they just kept coming sign after sign after sign, was the creative names that they came up with for some of the places that they live. So, I mean, there's a town like Experiment, or a town of Adventure. Wouldn't you love to live at Adventure? Or how about this one? Uh, Mosquito Hall. It, it might be time to move. Um, I like this one here, the town of Sarah. Doesn't that just sound nice? There isn't a town of John, too. I was thinking maybe they get John and Sarah together. I don't know what they call that, that, uh, that town then. Uh, how about this one? I drove by this one. This one just cracked me up. Now or never, Would you, where do you live? Now or never. And uh, 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 <laughs> I would move. I don't know about anybody else, but I would definitely move. Um, but you know, if you're gonna move, move to this place, right? Move to Fear Not, which is another village there in Guyana. Zorg, so I don't know, that just, I uh, love the name of that one. Skeldon was actually the little town where I was staying, where our hotel was, where the pastor's house was. Um, the church was actually in number 73. Uh, it was actually had a name, but for some reason, some of these little towns, they didn't bother with a name. They just went with whatever the little you know, parcel of land was. So we were the 73rd district from the Burbese River. Is that what that actually meant? Number 73. And then I mentioned earlier, we were out there in the bush in a little town called Mabakuri. And so we have all these different signs that you see in Guyana. I thought this was good as we're talking about morning. So signs are something that tell us 
Well, one of three things at least. First of all, they tell us where you are. So if you see a sign that says Mabakuri, that means that you're in Mabakuri. If you see a sign that says fear not, or, and there's all kinds of different places too uh, in Guyana, but it tells you where you are. That's what some signs do. Other signs tell you where you want to go. So you see a sign and it might be pointing in that direction and like, oh yes, I'd like to go there. That was something that was strangely missing in Guyana. In fact, I think in the whole week I was there driving around, I think I saw one, maybe two signs where it said like Georgetown with an arrow pointing. I think one said maybe New Amsterdam with an arrow pointing. And I think there's a reason. There's really only one road from Georgetown all the way down to where we were. And it's this little two-lane road that you drive the whole way. And if you have any sense of direction at all, you can come out to that road and you can go, oh, Georgetown's either that way or it's that way. And you make that turn and you stay on that road for the rest of the way. And so I don't think they felt any great need for road signs to actually point in directions. Well, there's a third thing that signs actually do. And sometimes signs actually point out something of significance. So I don't know if you're like I am. But sometimes you'll be driving down the road or you'll be walking or, or I'll be visiting a town and there'll be one of these signs that's like a historical marker. I always have to stop and read that sign. And uh, my wife knows this, my family knows this. It's like, okay, there's dad again reading his sign. And, you know, if you live up in Clarkston, they have all those little signs out to give you like the history of Clarkston, like out on the different sidewalks. I get all excited when a new one pops up. Because I have to stop whatever I'm doing and I have to get out and I have to read that sign because signs give us more information. And I want you to keep that thought in mind this morning as we talk about signs because that's really where we're going this morning. Now these are actually maybe some signs that you're looking for in your life. Maybe you'd like to look for the town of relief or maybe you're looking for success. This is actually a real uh, town in Guyana. Or maybe the town of New Hope. And so as we come this morning and, and we explore the book of John, we're talking about signs, but I want to ask you this question, what sign are you looking for? Or what would you like to be on your sign? Maybe if it's the sign that's put outside of your village, or, or maybe it's the sign that's put outside of your house, what would you like that sign to read? I think for a lot of us, we come to the summer, or we come to church, or we come to work, or we come to the situation that we're facing in life, and we need something that we'd like to lock into and hang on to, because we feel lost or unfocused, or maybe like we're wandering around aimlessly, and we're looking for a sign that would point us somewhere, and this morning we want to talk about those signs that don't point us somewhere, but they point us to someone who wants to help us get to places like joy or to places like fulfillment or to maybe wellness or wholeness. So where are you this morning? And where do you need to go? And what sign are you looking for that might help you get there? Because this summer we're going to look at seven signs. And maybe not exactly like these signs like we put up here on the screen, but there's seven signs that are located in the book of John, and we want to look at the first of the signs this morning, and that's in John chapter 2. So let me invite you to turn to John chapter 2, and as you're doing that, let me just give you some context on this book of John that we're going to be exploring here for the rest of the summer. 
It was written by, obviously, John, who was one of the disciples, became one of the apostles, one of the close followers of Jesus, never mentions himself in the book, just mentions himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, but we know that he's referring to himself. It was likely the last of the Gospels that were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written about the same time. Most scholars believe that John was written a little bit later. Those first three Gospels are sometimes called the synoptic Gospels in that they cover basically the same material. Now, one or the other authors might add something or or subtract something, but they cover pretty much the same details of Jesus' life. When John shows up to write his Gospel, he goes in a completely different direction, and he gives us new information. In fact, they say about 93% of the Gospel of John is new that you haven't read it if you've been reading in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so in John, he leaves out a lot of the things that show up in those first Gospels, like the birth of Christ, the genealogies, the temptation of Christ, the baptism of Christ. This is interesting to me. In the book of John, you won't find any parables. Those are all in the first three books. Uh, The transfiguration's not in the book of John. The Last Supper is in there, but not the Lord's Supper part of it, where Jesus institutes it. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is not there. The Ascension's not in the book of John. So John's covering a lot of new material. Uh, new material. And what John does is he gives us a set, uh, two sets of things that he really builds his, bil- uh, his book around. The first one is the I am statements of Jesus. So I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. There were seven of those, and John uses those as part of his book. And then John uses seven miracles that he actually calls signs. We'll explain that in a middle. But these seven miracles that are part of his book, too. And he builds his entire book around those seven statements and these seven miracles. So as you read the book of John, those are the two things that he's using to tell us who Jesus is. And he sums it all up when he gets to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So going back to that first sentence there, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Now, these the signs are just John's word for miracles, but he uses this word because he wants us to see that it's more than just a miracle. Sometimes when we go through life, we say, hey, I'm looking for a sign. I'm looking for something that really jumps out, that signifies to me that this is the direction that I need to go. In the Bible, it's, it's pretty similar, where God often gives people signs. He gives them something special or something unusual or something unexpected that jumps out, that gets people's attention to say, hey, this is the way that you need to go, or this is the message that you need to hear, or this is the messenger that I've sent. And so John is saying this about Jesus, that he's doing these miracles, but these miracles are actually signs designed to get us to step back and go, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. That one caught me by surprise. And then to stop and think about it and to ponder it and to understand that there's something bigger that's going on. And so these signs are a little bit like those road signs that I like so much that I have to stop and read. John's saying these miracles are signs that we need to stop and reflect on. So what exactly is a sign? 
It's a tangible evidence to validate a message or a messenger. And Jesus' miracles were these signs, or Jesus' miracles were like exclamation points to say, hey, right here, stop, look, listen about what this has to say. So he's saying that there's more to this miracle than just the miracle. If you go back to the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, they focus on what Jesus did. There's actually 35 miracles that are recorded in the Gospels, and only seven of them John chooses. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, they focused on a lot of these things, what Jesus did, also what he said, and they really provide the history of Jesus. When you get to the book of John, John focuses, however, on who Jesus is. Instead of the history of Jesus, it's the mystery of Jesus. And John selects seven miracles out of these 35, and he builds his book around these. In fact, of these miracles, only two of the seven miracles show up in any of the other Gospels. The walking on water and the feeding of the 5,000. The other five miracles that we see in the book of John are unique to the book of John. But he selects them for a specific reason so that we might believe. In fact, in the book of John, the word believe is mentioned 98 times, which would suggest that this is a major theme of the book of John. And so John is saying, here's these statements of Jesus, here's these miracles of Jesus. I want to confront you with these, I want to expose you to these so that you can believe. And it's a reminder to us that, that belief is not just a straight line, that, that at one point we come to Christ and we just believe all the way across and someday we're going to heaven. Belief is... is one of these things, where sometimes we're doing better in belief and other times we're not doing well and, and doubt starts to creep in and, and then we build belief and then that belief and trust continues to grow. And what John is saying is, I want you to look at this because I want you to see who Jesus is and the more you think about this, the more your belief, the more your faith, the more your trust is actually going to grow. So these signs though were miracles. They were definitely out of the ordinary, and they were definitely situations where anybody who was there would stop and look and go, whoa. And we've all been to places in the world, and we talk about the, the ancient wonders of the world and the modern wonders of the world and the natural wonders of the world, and we stick seven in front of all of those. Well, in the book of John, we have these seven wonders, too, where anybody who's there was going to look at, at Jesus and what he did and go, whoa. What just happened here? And that's exactly what happens here in John chapter 2. So let's dive in. John chapter 2, verse number 1. We're going to look at the story of turning water into wine. Now, two years ago, we talked about this story when we were going through our Up North with Jesus series. And we looked about, we talked about what did the miracle mean. Today, we're going to look at the same story, but we're going to back it up. And we're going to ask, what does this tell us about Jesus? Because it's a sign. It's pointing to Jesus. What is it telling us about Jesus? And why does this matter to us? Verse number one. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And the first question is, the third day from when? Well, evidently, it's going back into chapter one when it's talking about where Jesus called Nathaniel, which was one of the disciples. And three days after Jesus had called Nathaniel, they went to this wedding in Cana. Jesus has been starting to call his disciples. He doesn't have them all collected yet. At this point, he's got Peter and Andrew, Nathaniel and, and Philip. We think probably James and John. So he's got like half of his, 
his discipleship group is, has been collected up to this point. And then they all pack up and they go to this wedding in Canaan. Tells us that Jesus' mother was there. So we assume that probably this wedding was of somebody who was a family friend. Uh, it's possible that Mary was helping with the refreshments, as we see as we go on in the stories. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. So instead of the plus one, this was like a plus six. So Jesus shows up with like six or seven of them. And it says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Well, the question is, why was she telling Jesus this? Because up to this point, as far as we know, Jesus had never performed a miracle. So why did she choose on this day to say, hey, Jesus, they don't have any wine? What was she expecting Jesus to do? We don't really know. Maybe she was like encouraging him. Maybe she was sensing his baptism had just taken place. These people were starting to follow him. Maybe she was sensing that things were escalating and accelerating. And maybe that was just her way of affirming that. We don't really know. But she says, hey, they're out of, they're out of wine here. There's a bit of a crisis, and it's going to be bad, especially for the groom and his family. Uh, when you run out of wine, the party's over. Everybody goes home, and, and the longer the party, the, the better it reflected on you socially and, and of your status. And so there was a little bit of a dilemma and a crisis going on here. And so she tells him that the wine's run out, and Jesus responds, dear woman, why do you involve me? In other words, why is this my concern? My hour has not yet come. We're not exactly sure what, what he means by this, although it's a recurring theme through the, the book of John where it talks about the hour of Christ. But then his mother turns and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I'm glad that she says this because I'm not sure they would have done what Jesus said otherwise because it seems a little bit weird. But this is really at the heart of believing Believing is simply doing what Jesus tells you. Sometimes we want a big definition of faith. Faith is this or faith is this. Faith is simply this, doing whatever Jesus says, believing him enough to do what he says. And so Jesus says what? Well, we keep reading. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, up till now, these were not really part of the story other than when the guests arrived at the wedding, they would have stopped in front of one of these six water pots and they would have used them to wash their hands, whether they scooped them out and washed their hands or, or put their hands in it. But hand washing was a big part of Jewish society, so these would have been used merely for that, but otherwise, everybody's in the party now, so those are just setting uh, to the side there, not being used, and Jesus instead chooses to use them. But there's significance in that choice because the reason that they washed their hands and they washed their hands all the time in Jewish society was because it went back to the law and it was going back to being pure and, and being unclean from sin. And so the Jews were really into hand washing. In fact, if you think about it, you remember in a lot of the uh, parables that are told, or not the parable, excuse me, a lot of the stories that are told of Jesus and the disciples the disciples were eating with hands that weren't washed. And like the Pharisees were like, oh, we've got a scandal here. Because they didn't wash their hands. Well, it was a really, really big deal because it, it gave credence to the law and to this idea of purification. And Jesus picks on something that's super important to them and says, you know what, we're going to move on from that. So, so just kind of keep that in mind here. 
They were representative of the law, or actually you could even say this, they were representative of the legalism of the day because they've been taking it to an extreme. And Jesus was about to be done with the law as they knew it. And that first miracle that we're about to see here was about to make a huge statement on the Jewish system of their purification. So Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. It doesn't really tell us how that happened, and it doesn't really tell us when that happened. Did all of those six pots, and, and they would have been about the size of a trash can, would all of those six pots, did they all just turn to wine? Or as they drew water out of the wine and put it into the pitchers, did it turn into to the wine then? Or maybe even as it, it was in the pitcher? It doesn't really tell us. And I guess it doesn't tell us because it's not important. But the water turns to wine and is taken to the master of the banquet who tastes the water. He didn't realize where it came from. Verse number nine, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew and the disciples knew and Mary knew, but that's all that knew. And so this huge miracle, all these people at the wedding feast, they have no idea that this miracle is even going on other than just a few select people here. But the master of ceremonies calls the bridegroom aside. Verse number 10 says, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. And what Jesus had done here in picture form is he had said, Hey, the law, that's not nearly as good as what grace is. This old wine, even the water of the past, it's nothing like this new wine that we just sang about. And so it had significance in that way. In verse number 12, then it sums up this story. It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, choosing that word instead of miracles, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And in a very simple way, it's Jesus showed up, did this miracle, and the disciples looked at him and go, whoa, this guy's just not a great teacher. This guy is like nobody we've ever seen before. We've never seen anybody who takes wine or water and turns it into wine, and, and probably you and I have probably never seen anybody like that either. And if somebody could do that, they'd be in huge demand today, wouldn't they? But they stood there and was like, who is this? And that's the question they asked. And the reason that Jesus turned that water to wine is so that they would ask that question and would start to understand that he wasn't just some common, ordinary man. Yes, he was a man, but he also was the Son of God. And so in that moment, he revealed his glory, and he told them some things about himself in at least five things. And I want to just take this story and share five things this morning that we can learn about Jesus ourselves. The first thing is this. Jesus is the God of wonder. He does things that only God can do. And as I mentioned, some of these disciples had now been following Jesus a grand total of three days. And Jesus says, okay, right from the start here, I want you to know that I'm not the average person here. 
And I'm sure they stood there with their jaws hanging open like, what did we just see? But I want to encourage us this morning to go back and to reclaim some of that wonder. The wonder of the first time that you encountered Jesus. The wonder of when you learned that he loved you. The wonder of when you learned that he loved you enough to die for you. The wonder of realizing that he actually chose you among all these different people in the world. That this Jesus didn't just show up at a wedding in Canaan, he showed up in your story too. And just for a minute to say, wow, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? To stop and think about what he did for you, to stop and think about the fact that you can know him personally. Stop and think about the fact that he's for you, that he can do anything. I think sometimes in our faith, we've lost our sense of wonder. Who is this Jesus? I'm excited to have uh, Allie back visiting with us. I haven't seen her in a year and a half because of all this nasty COVID stuff. And she just traveled. But I think of this sometimes when, when I remember Allie, when she was born, she was a December birthday and we were just getting ready for a big church program that I was in charge of, and it was like just mayhem. But I remember that night that Allie was born, I was standing here holding this little eight-pound baby thinking, this is how Jesus came? Wow. How much humility does that take? And to just be blown away by that in that moment, but in our moments even today, Maybe to be reminded of the fact that he came as a baby or to be reminded of the fact that he lived as a man. And he went out through all the junk that we go through. I mean, you think about the time that he lived. I mean, they weren't dealing with indoor plumbing and they weren't riding around in cars and on scooters and any of that stuff. I mean, he was going through hard times in life just like us, for us. And maybe to remember that he went to a cross. And that they buried him, and then he rose from the, the grave, and he ascended to heaven, and he lives there, and, and, he's, and he's there praying for us, and cheering for us, and doing things for us. And maybe we need to be reminded of the fact that he's redeeming our stories. I think sometimes our faith becomes really commonplace, kind of ordinary. We're just used to it. And so we do the, the things that we do and we have our, our Christian routines and, and, our, and our faith practices. But have we lost the wonder? Where we step back and say, whoa, what just happened in my life? Whoa, what did he just do in my story? Whoa, what is going on over here that can only be the supernatural? He is the God of wonder. Because he's the God who can turn water into wine. Secondly, he's the God of concern. He loves us enough, he cares about us enough to help us in our predicaments. We mentioned before to run out of wine at the wedding would have been a major social blunder. You would have been an embarrassment. You would have been the talk of the town. And maybe a year later it wouldn't have been that big a deal, but for the moment it would have been a big deal. And Jesus said, you know what? You've got this problem here. I'll go ahead and take care of this problem. And that's who Jesus is. 
sometimes we don't buy enough wine for all of the guests, and sometimes we don't plan ahead like we should, and sometimes we make bad decisions and, and get ourselves in trouble, and, and sometimes we're just not thinking, and, and things happen to us sometimes. And Jesus is the God who is concerned enough to say, hey, you know what, if you need some wine, I can provide that. Think about this, th- this miracle. It really didn't make that big a difference, did it? Okay, so the, the wine runs out, so everybody has to drink a little water. We'll be okay, won't we? And Jesus is like, you know what, we can have wine. I, I can do that. Because Jesus cares enough about us and our predicaments to sometimes step in and save the party for us. He's not all judgment. He's a lot of grace. And if you go back to chapter 1 here, it talks about his grace as being wave after wave, grace upon grace upon grace. And that's who Jesus is. And in our messes, he steps into our stories sometimes and turns our water into wine. He's also the God of generosity. He gives, but he doesn't just give, he gives in abundance. And I don't know if he immediately turned all those jars into to wine. If he did, if those are 30 gallons each and there's six of them, that's 180 gallons. Uh, they estimate that that would be enough to fill 1,200 wine bottles. You can have quite a party there for quite a while. And I don't know if that's the way that it was, or maybe it was just as they dipped out of those, it just continued to be, to be wine, kind of like the feeding of the 5,000, how it never just ran out. But the point is this, there was way more wine than what they needed. Because that's who Jesus is. He's a God of generosity, and he just gives us blessings that are so far beyond anything that that we actually need. I haven't taken a lot of missions trips. I took that trip last week, but one of the things I always think is interesting when you travel abroad is as I'm reminded of how much I have. And I would say Guyana is a poor country. It's not impoverished. And people have homes and houses and things like that. But I look at what they don't have compared to what I do have. Uh, just air conditioning. Isn't that kind of nice? But we live with all of these things. But it's just the abundance of God who just gives us so much more than what we need. And it's not just physically. He gives us more love than what we need and it never runs out. And he gives us grace and it never runs out. And he gives us mercy and it never runs out. And he just gives and gives and gives. And no matter how much he gives, there's always more. And so the disciples could stand there that day with their jaws hanging open and go, whoa, there's a lot of wine. Because that's what Jesus does. He gives us more than what we need. And he turns our water into wine. He's also the God of joy. He wants us to enjoy the human experience Weddings are great things, and it's great to have Allie here. And we were, there was a great dance party going on in our kitchen the other night. And uh, so they had the Echo, what, is that what it's called, the Amazon Echo? There, it was playing music, and, and the whole family was in the kitchen dancing away there in the kitchen. And we were just having a great time laughing at each other. And we were having a great time remembering Allie's wedding. And you know what? That's, I think, pleasing to God, actually, that we enjoy ourselves. You ever think about where joy came from? It wasn't a creation of the devil. The devil didn't look at the world and said, oh, let's give them joy. It was creation of God, who actually, in his fullness, 
decided to express that by creating man, and he just dumped who he was in the man in, in, the, in the form of joy. And one of the reasons we are created is so that we could just enjoy God and we can enjoy all that he is and all that he's created. And in this moment, God stands up and says, Jesus stands up and says, hey, I am the God of joy. And I don't know what you've got going on in your life because it can be hard. It can be depressing. It can, we can struggle with things and we can even struggle with our emotions. But he's the God of joy who turns water into wine. And then lastly, he's the God of transformation. And this is really the big point of this miracle, this sign. He wants to turn your water into wine. He wants to take whatever is in your life and he wants to make it something different. And he does that in salvation when he takes our lives and our, our, our hearts that are, that are filled with sin and that are facing God's judgment. And he turns us into a new person and a new creation. He gives us the Holy Spirit. But all through our lives, he's continually working on this transformation. I want to take you a person who wor- who's a person who worries, and I want to make you a confident person. I want to take you this person who fears, and I want to give you courage. And I want to take this, this person who, who's a- addicted, and I want, I want to give you victory. And he's the God who turns water into wine because he changes things. And this is the big point of this sign. He wants to turn your water into wine. So this morning, I don't know what your need is. Maybe you just need to wonder a little bit more about this God, Jesus, who came into your story and who changed everything. Maybe you just need to be reminded of his concern and his care for you. Even if it's a mess of your own making, he redeems stories. Maybe you just need to appreciate his generosity. Maybe you need to add some joy and celebration to your story. That's his intention. Maybe you just need him to change you. But he's the God who turns the water into wine. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. And we stop and we pause and we look at this miracle, this sign. It was really you saying, hey, everybody, pay attention. And so this morning, help us to pay attention. I pray for all of us as we sit here this morning. I pray that through your spirit, you would show us where we need some wine in our lives. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's just water right now for you. He wants to give you wine. And you can have that by inviting him into your life, asking him to forgive you your sins. That's why he went to the cross to die for those sins, asking him to give you this new life that he promised. Maybe you've trusted Christ, but... Boy, it's just kind of gotten old and routine and just commonplace. And maybe you need this wine again in your life that he wants to give you. Why don't you have that conversation with him this morning? Jesus, we want to know you as this new wine that we sang about in our lives. This is our prayer. We pray it in your name. Amen. If you got a bulletin this morning, we have those in the back. If you notice on the back page, give me two minutes here and we'll wrap up. We are going to be doing something else as a church this summer. We talk about the wonders. We're going to throw out a wonder every week. It's going to be a question. We wonder if, and then we're going to have a challenge for us as a church. And so the first one this week is, we wonder how many chapters in the book of John we can read as a church this week. 
How many chapters in the book of John can we read as a church this week? And we'll tabulate them all up at the end of the week, and we'll get back in touch with you about that. But how many can we read? So what we've done here on the back here, instead of the growth guide this week, we call it a growth chart, but we've broken up the, the book of John into seven sections. So if you want to, you can read through this book this week. It's not that hard. It's three chapters a day, and we even made it like a little checklist for you if that's helpful. And you could take that, and you can just check off how many chapters that we've read. And so I'd like to say, this, throw this challenge out to us, Waterford Community Church, how many chapters of John can we read this week? So I don't know if we have 100 people here this morning. If, if we all read through the book of John, that'd be like over 2,000 chapters, right? I don't know if we can read that many, but can we, can we read over 1,000 chapters of the book of John? And we're not just reading the book of John so we can read the book of John and say, oh, good, that was John. We're reading here because we're looking for these wonders. And you can actually read chapters 2 through 11 are sometimes called the, the, the book of signs. And you can be looking for these even as you read. But that's the challenge this week to everybody, to all of us. I wonder how many chapters of the book of John can we read? Would you stand with me this morning? So glad that you're here. We have the uh, donuts in the back, or we have Caribbean chocolate, if you want to check that out. And uh, you can have part of that. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to be back. Uh, God bless you. Have a great week.